I invite you to turn today to James chapter 3 as we continue our look at this idea of how our faith works out in our lives. Last week we began this idea of a word on wisdom from James. We talked about how at the core of everything we do for the Lord goes back to what we believe about him and how we apply the truth of God's word to our lives. Um, If we're just going through a checklist, then we're not truly serving the Lord. I mean, sure, we can do good things, right? I mean, there's a lot of good things you can do in life, though, and just because you think you're supposed to do them. And if we truly want to serve the Lord, we have to, in our core, agree with, resonate with, apply the truth of God's word. That's what wisdom is. It's application of the knowledge of God's word. And we saw, we began to to look at how there's a couple different types of wisdom. There's worldly wisdom and there's wisdom that comes from God. And this week we're going to finish fleshing those things out as we see that. And we see that that what we believe and what we apply to our hearts from the word of God is how it, how it works itself out in our lives. So everything you know, that we see, talk about James, talk about the tongue and different actions that we're to take, comes from this application of this wisdom. James three thirteen through 18, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking to your, in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is not just words on a page. It's not just uh, thoughts of man, but it's the power of God that we find therein. And we ask today that you would use the power of your word to change us. That you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us and compel us to not walk away today unchanged. To not be okay with how we are doing in our own spiritual lives. Whether it be one who doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, may they not, may you may they leave unsettled today because you have just continued to hammer home their need for a Savior and a relationship with you. For a Christian, Lord, may we leave with our hearts stirred up to continually applying the knowledge that we have of you into true wisdom that informs actions for you. Would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you make us uncomfortable with our sin? And would you give us a love greater than anything else for you? We ask today that this, this service, this, the rest of the service would honor you, would glorify you. I ask personally that you would guide my thoughts and words today. I would say nothing here that you would not have said and would not get in the way of what you'd like to do in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. What you do with knowledge, we said last week, is determines the way you live. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And, and you can apply knowledge to your present earthly life, that's worldly wisdom, 
living only for self and sin, or you can apply knowledge of God and in turn live for him with his help. And as I thought about that this week, and I thought about, well, we talked about Solomon a little bit last week and how he was the wisest man, yet he spent the end of his life living like a fool. And I thought about um, different things that Solomon wrote and, and things I was reading in my own um, devotions. I, I guess I just kind of want to point us to Proverbs here for a few minutes and show us some things that are replete. Proverbs is replete with examples of how those who apply knowledge properly and improperly will live. So whether you apply knowledge of God in a godly way and live in wisdom, or you apply knowledge of, of God or not of God, of things in this world in a, in a worldly way and live for yourself, you see these things. Verses like Proverbs chapter 29 Verse 11, I'm going to go a little fast here, okay, so I apologize in advance. If you want these verses later, I'll be happy to send them to you. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Proverbs 21, 20, there is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 12:26 The righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 12:3 A man is not established by wickedness but the root of right but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. And those are just five or six. Um, Proverbs is jam-packed with these. And I think if nothing else there's an excellent argument here for you to take a, take on personally a study of Proverbs and and to really unpack some of those things. But what we get out of these things is, is back to the point. The way that you and I apply knowledge affects how we live. The way that you and I apply the things that we know about God or about the world we live in, and the way we, we, we affect them in our own minds, and the way that we say, okay, I'm going to use this for me, or I'm going to use this for the Lord, I'm gonna, I'm ask, we ask God to teach us, or we just do our own thing, comes out in how we act. What is Proverbs? Well, Proverbs, they are currency among those who seek true godly wisdom. That is the book of Proverbs. And so as we pick back up in this passage in James chapter 3, we see further the fruit of worldly wisdom and the fruit of wisdom that's from above in our own lives. And We have to really ask ourselves, do we want to live for the glory of God with real fulfillment, real change, and real hope? Do you want to live that way? Do you want to see real change in your life? Do you want to have real hope in your life? Do you want to find yourself truly fulfilled? Then listen to the words of God today through James. And see that godly wisdom is crucial for godly living. My heart attitudes and outward actions reveal where my wisdom lies. What goes on in our hearts, the things that we believe in our core comes out and in, in, in the way we act, reveal what kind of wisdom we're buying into in our lives. It reveals what we believe. It reveals how we apply these things. And, and true hope and true peace and true fulfillment is only found in godly wisdom. And we see that here as we, get, as we work our way through the passage. But let me just back up and just kind of catch us up where we are. We won't spend a lot of time looking at these things from last week. But we, we first saw in verse 13, wisdom's proof. In our lives, how we live bears out what we believe. 
And there's a necessity in our lives for wisdom. And in order to live effective, victorious lives for the Lord, we need that wisdom. And without it, it's impossible to make sense of this life and to truly enjoy the goodness of God. Wisdom is taking the knowledge that you have and, as we said, doing something with it. And applying knowledge of God leads to living for God. If you know the things of the Lord and you apply them to your life, it leads us to living for him. It's one thing to know that God is holy. It's one thing to know that God is set apart from sin. It's another thing to apply it and say, because God is holy, therefore he has called me a follower of him to be holy. There's two different things there, right? The the flip side of that is to know that God is holy and just say, well, I don't think God really cares how I live, and we apply it and we live however we want. And in our lives, James says there's practical proof. James says in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. He calls for people to examine themselves. If you think you are wise, he says, here's, how it, here's what it looks like in your life. If you have understanding, that is a specialized knowledge that's built up over time, here's, here's how to tell that you have that going on in your heart. As the wisdom of God impacts our lives, it should lead to these things worked out in our lives. First, James says, in, in good conduct. That simply is a lifestyle that reflects inward, honorable character found in God. And then show it in your works, he says, that come out in that good conduct. And we said that the activities and endeavors of a Christian that he's involved in should be that which reflects the character of God. Those things that you pursue in life, the way that you do, that you carry out your everyday business in life should reflect God's character. And lastly, these good deeds should be shown from a lifestyle reflecting the goodness of God that are, and it's done in, lastly, in meekness. Meekness is not weakness, but power under control. And wisdom helps to temper our living so that we can live not controlled by our flesh and our desires, but controlled by the God and his spirit. And James now goes on to describe those two different types of wisdom. And we began to just scratch the surface on worldly wisdom last week with the motivations behind it. He says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The motivation for wisdom that comes from this world, it, 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 it's consumed with this life only. It, it is applying the things that we know to make the decision that's best for me and my cause in that moment. Within the heart of one who is consumed with himself, and when, within the heart of one who is consumed with worldly wisdom is first bitter envy, James says. What does one who is filled with bitter envy do? He applies all that he is to being better than other people because he's envious of them. He wants what they have. And when someone does that, when someone lives this way, it doesn't produce joy or happiness or contentment. Now, have you ever met someone who spends their whole life chasing things like this? And they don't live a very happy life. They live a very bitter life. And along with bitterness brings this close friend self-seeking, or as we said, it's better really said, selfish ambition. This is the idea of strife and extreme selfishness, which will result in strife with others. 
Because we're working solely for our own gain to meet our own gratification at all costs. And if this is the way we live, if this is how we're consumed, we're consumed with ourselves and we're consumed with making ourselves happy or making ourselves better than, than other people, then we, we best not lie, boast, and lie against the truth. That is not godly wisdom. That is worldly wisdom. It is a self-glorying, arrogant pursuit. And that which is wrong and sinful always attacks that which is true and right. And this is where we left off last week, saying that, that these motivations, if these reside in our hearts, it's a good indication where our pursuit of wisdom is taking place. And we need God's help to really decipher these things sometimes because we really struggle to call out these things in our own hearts. You ever found it's a lot easier to call out sin that you struggle with in the life of someone else than it is to do it in your own life? And I through particularly in the case of my kids all the time, you know? I don't want them. It, it, every parent who's honest doesn't want their kids to be just like them because I know how I struggle. And so it's really easy, right, to call those things out. But when God points the finger back at you and God begins to show you, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to weed those things out of our lives. But if we truly want to be like God, we, we have to submit to those things. Because that wisdom, that worldly wisdom that comes with these, these selfish motivations brings with it several characteristics. And this is where we pick up here in verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. This false earthly wisdom doesn't come from heaven, doesn't come from the Lord, but it finds its roots elsewhere. And so it is characterized by things that are anything but heavenly. James uses three words here to describe it as earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now, it has been said, and it is true, that the three biggest enemies of the Christian are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these are all represented in these three things that James says right here. The world we live in, the age that we live in, this, this age of unrighteousness is opposed to the things of God. Satan, the devil, we know he is opposed to God. And then we talk about our flesh, that even as redeemed men and women, we live with this unredeemed fleshly part of us that wants to, to do wrong, that, 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 that still longs to do sin. And so let's unpack these. James says first that it is earthly. It is limited to this present time and it is limited to this world that we live in. Very simply, we must understand there is no lasting value in the world's wisdom. God's wisdom deals with eternal things. Man's worldly wisdom deals only with the temporal. And sure, it might help you a short amount of time, but it's not going to take, it may help you even get ahead in this age, but it's going to do nothing for your eternal soul. It's going to do nothing to settle the questions of your heart. That is the nature of earthly wisdom. James continues that it is sensual. Another way of or interpreting this word or, or translating this word, I should say, not interpreting, is natural or unspiritual. By this, it means it relates to the flesh or the fallen man. And we must understand that wisdom that comes from fallen man is incapable of applying and understanding the things of God by himself. 
let me refer you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We read this this morning in our scripture reading, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In order to understand the things of God, we need the help of God. Men live by their corrupted flesh, their sinful natures, trying to discern the deeper meanings of life. What are things that men ask? Where have I come from? Why am I here? What will happen to me when I die? And in our own sinful, in our own man, human wisdom, we cannot find these answers. We cannot come to the, to the right place. Because try as you might, you and I will never make sense of things in this life without God. How do you look around in a world that is broken and full of sin and find any kind of hope or peace without a sovereign God? It's not possible. The lament of Solomon echoes in the hearts of all who live in the way of worldly wisdom, Ecclesiastes 1-2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all worthless. The things of this life are useless and worthless in the long run. Without God, there's no true value. And because it's all natural and because it's all all, all of these, these, this worldly wisdom is natural and sinful. We, go, we, we just go down to the root of it all. Where does ultimately worldly wisdom come from? It comes from the enemy of God. That's why James says it is, lastly, demonic. You realize that ever since the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, that Satan has been opposed to God and he has trotted out cheap imitations of what God says is right. In Genesis chapter 3, or Genesis 1 and 2, we learn that God had one rule in the Garden of Eden, and that was what? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And in Genesis 3, along comes Satan and says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be, what does that say? Like God, knowing good and evil. Cheap imitations. You know what? You can be God. God's holding back from you. And if you will just disobey him, you're not going to die. In fact, you're going to be just like him. Satan wants you to believe that you and yourself can find true wisdom. And he's willing to feed you that lie over and over and over again. And he does it all day, every day in our world. That we stuff ourselves with whatever it is we think is going to make us happy. And we stuff our brains with whatever it is we think we need to hear. That we're going to, we're going to somehow make ourselves better. But it never works. Try as we might. In fact, these motivations and these characteristics of worldly wisdom, they lead to inevitable 
results. And that's what James shows us here, the results of worldly wisdom in verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, so go back to those, those motivations, confusion and every evil thing are there. No matter what wisdom you subscribe to, whether it's the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the world, there is always fruit that comes from wisdom. The way you think and the way you apply knowledge comes out. And in worldly wisdom, those results are not pretty. So wherever you find envy and self-seeking or, again, selfish ambition, you will inevitably find these results. What is the first thing you find? You find confusion. The word confusion means disorder and instability when you, when you go back to the Greek word. Basically, sin does not breed orderly thinking. It is rebellion, it is anarchy, and it should be no surprise to us that it breeds such things because it attacks God. And God is the opposite of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The wisdom of the world brings confusion and turmoil. Have you ever found yourself buying into sin, living according to sin, and you look back on your life and say, man, that was really dumb? Again, the the one I always appeal to is this guy in the Bible named Jonah, a prophet, speaks for God, knows what God says, and says, I'm going to go hide myself in a boat and run away from God. And you shake your head, right? But how many times do we do the same? Well, God won't really see if I do. Well, God won't really care if I... We buy into the lie over and over and over again. It leads to confusion, to disorder in our lives, instability. And then James just throws out this all-encompassing term. Not only does it bring confusion, but it also brings every evil thing. Nothing good ever comes from sinful man's thinking. And is it any little is it is it any wonder that there is confusion in all types of evil in our world? What does sin always bring with it? Sin begets sin, it always does. And if everyone is out there serving his own self-interest and his own selfish ambition, it's going to be a crazy world. And when sin takes over in our lives, chaos ensues. Just ask the Israelites, Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How did that little experiment go? Read the book of Judges, and you scratch your head and go, what is going on? That's what sin breeds. Do you want to know what worldly wisdom gets you in life? Just look around at the lost world we live in. When you do about the most depressing thing I think you can do in this life and turn on the news, and you watch the news, and you shake your head at the horrors of mankind, that's what worldly wisdom gets you. When you look at churches that are crumbling and falling apart and the gospel that is stagnating, that's what worldly wisdom gets you. 
to get comfortable and live and just do things the way that, well, we think this is how it should be done instead of going back to the word of God. That's what worldly wisdom gets you. When you look within your own heart and find there no true joy and no fulfillment, that's what worldly wisdom gets you. When you see strife that is raised up in your own life time after time after time, that's what worldly wisdom gets you. The wisdom of the world is hopeless. You and I, in and of ourselves, we cannot save ourselves and we cannot think rightly. We need God. And thankfully, God has not left us to ourselves. He has given us his word, and he has given us the Holy Spirit to apply the things of his word to our hearts. And that's where we see, lastly in this passage, the wisdom that comes from above. And from the very beginning, it's different. Because it's motivated differently. James says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. And that is the motivation of God's wisdom. What is the motivation of worldly wisdom? It is the exaltation of sin and self. It is the sinful serving of our own flesh. But that is not so with the wisdom from God. It comes from above, from heaven, to our hearts. It is a wisdom that is consumed with the eternal things of God. And this wisdom stands the test of time because the wisdom of God is the origin of time itself. Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. Where does the wisdom of God come from? It comes through the word of God and the ministry of his Holy Spirit. It comes only through salvation by Jesus Christ. That is where we find the initiation of God's wisdom in our lives. And thus, the motivation of God's wisdom is only one thing, James says. It is pure. The word pure here means free from contamination. And in in Greek literature, in Greek usage, this word was used when talking about a worshiper who would cleanse himself to enter the presence of their, of their Greek gods. That's what it means, to be free from this contamination. Wisdom that comes from God is pure because God is pure. It is set apart and holy, set apart from sin because God is holy and set apart from sin. So the wisdom that he gives then, as he applies his word to our hearts to lead us to act in accordance with his ways, is pure. This is seen in the characteristics of that wisdom that's played out. So worldly wisdom that is motivated by our own self and our own desires leads us then to act in such a way that furthers our own agenda, that furthers myself. So God's wisdom that is pure, that is motivated uh, to please him and, and lift up his holiness then results in things that honor him. And James lists those in the rest of this verse. Verse 16, but the wisdom is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Let's break these down one by one. First, it is peaceable. That is, it is given to peace. We look around in our world, and we don't see peace. Why? 
Because peace comes from God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Selfishness that is is not carried on by heavenly wisdom. And selfishness naturally creates conflict with others. You understand that if you're living for yourself, you are naturally at conflict with the other person that's, that's in the room with you? Because you're looking out for who? For me. And then you add four more selfish people to the same room, and there's a lot of conflict going on. Instead, when one is consumed with pleasing God, he is at peace not only with God, but also fellow man. And I I tell you, if you find one who is in constant conflict with brothers and sisters in Christ, you will find one who is in conflict with God. Because godly wisdom leads to seeking peace and restoration with other people. Solomon characterized wisdom in Proverbs 3.17, her ways are the ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace. In our lives, when we see conflict with other people, oftentimes conflict with others either masks our conflict with God or it results from our conflict with God. When we are out of step with God, then we're not relating to others the way that God wants us to relate to them. So godly wisdom results in one given to peace. Second, he says it is gentle. This word gentle means to be equitable. It means that it's one who is concerned with the right treatment of other people above treatment of self. Godly wisdom makes us always willing to make room for others and for their needs, that even in the face of wrongdoing, even in the face of persecution, it is concerned with other people for the glory of God. Third, it is willing to yield. That phrase means open to reason, really better said, teachable. Godly wisdom makes one a teachable person. Have you ever met anyone in your life you just couldn't teach anything to? Every time you try to tell them something, they say the same thing. Well, I know that, right? Or they have some reason why what you're telling doesn't, they don't need to listen to what you're saying. Godly wisdom leads us to listening to what God has to say to us and then changing accordingly in our lives. If we're not living according to godly wisdom, we're not teachable people. Well, God, I'm good. I don't need that. I don't have a reason to listen. Fourth, James says that it is full of mercy. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. It is showing compassion for others instead, forgiving them and helping meet their needs. Mercy and living a life full of mercy is a direct reflection of godliness. I love it the way one author said it. Mercy is not second nature to God. It is his nature. That's who God is. Mercy is hard in our human understanding, in our, just to our human brains. Because what does it mean? It means we don't keep score. It means we give to others what God gave to us. There's a story that's told about the, the emperor of France, Napoleon, the great, the great leader, right? 
though he wasn't tall, he was still good. He was still great. Not good, but he led, pe- led these men into battle and won all these things. And there's a story told of a, of a man that Napoleon condemned to death. And the, his mother, the, the mother of this man who was condemned to death, appealed to Napoleon for a pardon for that man. And Napoleon pointed out to this mother that this was the man's second offense and that justice must be carried out and this man must be put to death. His mother replied, I am not asking for justice, but for mercy. To which Napoleon responded, he doesn't deserve mercy. To which she said, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And what I ask for is mercy. The story is told that Napoleon actually did grant that man mercy. I have something to tell you. In this world, you will be wronged. You will feel the world is unjust. You will feel that other people are out to get you. You will feel that people hurt you and have no idea how they hurt you. And you will feel this way. Why? Because we live in a sinful, broken world. But with God's wisdom, you can show mercy to other people. Because we deserve nothing less than eternal death. But through Jesus Christ, we resonate with what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful to show us mercy. And so the recipients of mercy are called to show the same. God's wisdom applies his mercy to our hearts and allows us to show the same. This is the application of knowledge. It is more than just knowing God is merciful. It is God saying, I am merciful. You do the same. Fifth, James says godly wisdom is full of good fruits. The life of one who is living in God's wisdom, results in one whose thoughts, actions, and attitudes reflect his God. That is what a life of good fruits looks like. James then says, six, that is without partiality. God's wisdom allows us to look around and to treat others equally right as Christ has done. And we won't spend a lot of time here because James spent time on this in chapter 2. But he goes back and and applies that here, that godly wisdom allows us to live in this impartial state. And lastly, James says, godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. Do you realize that one of the sins that Jesus condemned most was hypocrisy? He was dealing a lot with the religious leaders of Israel who were supposed to know better, but they instead were living for themselves. Claiming to be one thing and living out something else is sin. And godly wisdom empowers us to not live as hypocrites, but to live sincere lives. The opposite of hypocrisy is sincerity, of living out what you say you are. And we can apply the truth of God to our lives And reflect it to others around us. And what we need is this whole picture. To look at this list of these things and say, well, you know, I have one of those things in my life. I I see one of those things that God's wisdom has done. That's not enough. This is not a let's pick and choose, right? But we need the whole picture of this in our lives. 
To live as one without the rest isn't completely engaging in God's wisdom. For it's easy to look at this list and look and say, well, I do that really well. But you know, it's easy to look at this list and call out people that we say, well, they don't live up to that list. But that isn't our job. Our job is to show mercy, to remain teachable, to be peaceable, to be sincere. And when we do this, we see the results of that in our own lives. Verse 18 Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God's wisdom in our lives brings about his peace and righteousness in our lives. You and I can see God's righteousness played out by his grace and by his strength in our everyday interactions. You realize that in the way that you interact with your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers with the random person you pass on the street and talk to, you and those interactions can reflect the righteousness of God to other people. And no, that doesn't mean that you take your Bible and you lop their heads off with it because I'm a good person and you're not. But just in the way that we carry out our lives, we live in a way that pleases God. Instead of living as anyone else may live, we can live in the way that Jesus Christ lived. Instead of being at odds with God and others, we can see true peace and we can feel that peace in our hearts. You can hit the pillow at the end of the day and rest peacefully in God and in his wisdom. You can walk through your day not worried about what may happen next to you because you can know that you are right with God. See, sin does the opposite. Sin creates Friction. Who does it create friction with? Well, first it creates friction with God. That we are at odds with who God is. That he is holy and set apart and we are sinful. But then it creates friction with other people as well. God and his righteousness bring peace. There will be no peace apart from God. There will be no peace in your heart without a knowledge of the Savior. There will be no peace in your life as a Christian if you do not engage with him and listen to him. You need the wisdom of God regularly in your life to experience this. Godly wisdom is crucial for godly living. My heart attitudes and outward actions reveal where my wisdom lies. And so, very simply, living for God requires the wisdom of God. You and I, we we cannot find within ourselves, we cannot well up in ourselves the ability to live in a way that honors God. Now, does it take discipline to live in a way that honors God sometimes? Absolutely. It takes discipline to get up and read the Word of God. It takes discipline to set aside time to, to spend with Him, to seek after Him. To seek his help. But God must use his Holy Spirit to take the things of God and make them alive in our hearts. And that requires time and submission to God. The wisdom of God offers, that God offers, is a life changing wisdom. And so when you examine your heart, what do you find? Do you find sinful, bitter, worldly wisdom? 
Do you find endless pursuits for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for understanding? To you, I say there is grace to be found in Jesus Christ. There are answers for your questions, there is fulfillment, and there is hope. You do not have to wonder, you do not have to burn up one pursuit after another looking for fulfillment. You can find that in Jesus Christ alone. And the first step is to come to him, to depend on him alone for your salvation. If he is your Lord and he is your God, then you can be assured of your eternity and therefore find new life in him on this earth. You can live in him. A Christian, have you let the world's wisdom creep into your own life? Have you tied your value to the pursuits of this life? Have you harbored sin in your life as you've defined yourself by what you can gain in this life? Do you feel the chaos of the world affecting your peace? To you, I say your focus is off because it's to be on God and on him and living for him. And sure, does that mean along the way that you're going to have peripheral things in your life that he's going to call on us to fix? Absolutely. But it starts with saying, I'm going to live for the Lord. And I'm going to deal with the things he wants me to deal with. And I'm going to live in a way that honors him. And I'm going to show the mercy. And I'm going to do these things that God has called me to do. Because the horizontal relationships of this life will not be right until our vertical relationship is right. We cannot deal with others the way God wants us to deal with unless we are dealing with him the way he has called us to deal with. All the changes of James hinge on a proper knowledge of God and a proper application of that knowledge of him. If you do not know him or depend on him, you cannot live for him. But you can find true wisdom in him today. And if, if that's something you're struggling with, if that's something you're working through, I encourage you to, to, to go to the scriptures, to seek out God. You say, well, I don't even know where to go. Well, I'd be happy to help. My wife would be happy to help. We'd be happy to point you just to what God says, not what man says, but what God says. To, to really unpack their, the, thing, the truth and to ask him to apply that truth to our hearts. To get beyond this stage of just cramming our heads full of the right answers and working out those things in our everyday lives, living for him in his wisdom. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word today. We thank you for just this place that you've raised up for us to come and to hear these things. Lord, we ask that you would help us today not to just hear them, but to walk out of here applying them. Lord, would you help us to very simply ask, what is it you want us to do with these things this week? How do you want us to change the way we live because of what we know about you? How do you want to work in our hearts? Lord, I pray for each one in this room that you would speak to them personally through your Holy Spirit, through your word, that they would know that next step spiritually you would have them to take. And Lord, would you give us willing hearts that are ready to change. And may we be a reflection of 
our Savior to a lost and dying world. Lord, we ask today as we wrap up our service that you would watch over us and protect us as we leave this place. Or would you bring us back together again this evening to worship you, to exalt you, to learn from you. In your name we pray. Amen.